Coming up, the greatest women's mixed martial artist defends her UFC title this weekend at UFC 250. What do we make of the downfall of the career of Tyron Woodley? And John Jones relinquishes the UFC light heavyweight championship? Wait, what? The Fight Club podcast starts now. And now, from the News Hub studios in Auckland, it's time for the Fight Club podcast. G'day Fight fans, welcome to Fight Club. I am your host Brad Lewis. Joining me very shortly will be co-host and sparring partner Stephen Foote. We are live from the News Hub studios in Auckland. We will cover off all those points at the top of the show in great detail uh, very, very shortly. But first, just a little bit of housekeeping. Remember, you can like and subscribe to the podcast at uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts or any of your favorite apps. We are all over the place. Um, like and subscribe. Five-star like would be greatly appreciated. And uh, we have a whole bunch of archive episodes there for you to enjoy. Um, we're also available on newshub.co.nz forward slash podcasts. Just click on the Fight Club link and you can uh, have a look, listen to uh, some of the great episodes that We've brought to you in the past uh, two years. Um, you can get in contact with me at Twitter at Brad Lewis NZ if you'd like uh, to make a comment or have a suggestion or, or you're wanting to plug uh, an event or a fight or, or anything really that you've got coming up at Brad Lewis NZ on Twitter. Send me a direct message and I will be in touch. All right, guys, a lot to get into, as mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, Footy, I welcome you in. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Brad. It's good we'll to be into it. It's good to be back. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, back in person, back in the same. You know, within two minutes of each other. The intimate studio Which setting that we have here at, at News Hub. Um, no, fist, no fist bumps tonight, bro. No, no, no. Hey, um, I didn't get a chance uh, to, to ask you. We obviously, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, the last time we did a show, we had um, Walt Harris um, on the show, and that was a brutal matchup with Alistair Overeem. I know you uh, wrote a re- review on that fight. Really guttering for, I know that's a Sonny Bill Williams um, word, <laughs> but just an absolutely guttering but, uh, like for Walt Harris, given the fact that he was probably a punch or two away from from winning the fight you think it was a punch oh he was so close yeah it was a great job over that referee was who i can't remember yeah by letting that fight i think it was herb out. wasn't it i think it probably was herb yeah you're yeah. right but oh man i mean alistair Overeem. it's it's crazy that he's still a title contender all these years on like he's been on the cusp of title contention with Forever. the usc with pride with k1 you name it strike force um, his entire career, essentially. It's, it's because... so impressive that he's coming back and still scoring finishes like this. And we've derided him for so long about his dodgy chin. And it holds he's, up. he's managed to fight back from like some really tough situations. The thing that you have to respect about Overeem is he doesn't settle. Like He does move around a lot and tries to learn other skills. And he always wants to train with people that beat him. He's done that a lot mm. in the past. But, you know... He comes back from losses. Well, very rarely does Overeem lose two in a row. In fact, normally off the back of losses, he'll go on a three or four fight win streak, and then he'll lose that fight, either a title fight or the fight to get him a title fight. You know, which was what happened to him in the Rosenstrick fight. I mean, arguably right now, he'd be he'd be up there with Ngano as the number one contender to um, to Miocic's title. But yeah, much respect for Overeem. Um, and to come back from that broad like split lip like not that long ago. We're talking what five months, yeah. six months ago. Um, showed a lot of guts and and shout out to Walt Harris. Um, you know, I don't think you know only only people that have lost a child can understand what that man has been through in the last um, six months. Um, and it was emotional. I mean, I had a tear in my eye watching him post fight, knowing what he was going through a, a, as a man. And um, you know, only wish the best for him. And he certainly showed championship caliber. 
um, potential in the opening sort of uh, minutes of that fight just um, couldn't quite land that crucial blow to finish the fight. Yeah, I mean, it, it was all set up for that fairy tale, wasn't it? And everyone was kind of keen to see it. But I think what we did see is that Ward Harris probably is a little bit of a, perhaps a tear below at the moment. Mm. Um, you might even want to match it up with someone like Rosenstrike now just to see, you know, just That's- to... Yeah, Mate, yeah, Sean, Sean Shelby, look out, Stephen Foot's on the way. There at the moment, but yep. man, I don't think we give Alistair Overlim enough respect. Like he's an, he's a legitimate great, like a legend of the sport. He might not ever hold a UFC title, mm. um, but man, that guy is you know he, he should be up there with the Fedors. Top top five heavyweight of all time. I think yeah. that that's fair given his longevity and who he's beaten and fought. Um, absolutely, you're you're on point. Um, all right, it's been it's obviously been a crazy time in the world with what happened in Minnesota a, a couple of weeks ago with uh, George Floyd, of course, or a week ago. Um, um, you know, dying at the hands of, of a police officer. I'll save that for another podcast. But, you know, we've seen in the last sort of 24, 48 hours a guy like Israel Adesanya stand up for what he believes in when it comes to, to Black Lives Matter. And here's a guy who, you know, for all intents and purses, uh, purposes, was persecuted as a young man when he was living um, in other parts of New Zealand, I think Nelson and a couple of other areas. Um, and, you know, as, a, as an African and Nigerian absolutely knows what it's like to be racially profiled um, and got very, very emotional at RTS Square there. But um, before we touch on that, what I'm really enjoying about Israel Adesanya at the moment is we're seeing who he is come out and we I think that started with the Halberg uh, um, speech in terms of um, sort of breaking out of his shell and realizing that he, he can be a role model and he can speak on certain issues um, you know talking about like don't knock our athletes down when when they're down you know you need to pick them up and and help them win and you know I know that you did a story um, a couple of weeks ago a really awesome story and you know about his sort of he doesn't want to be the the cheerleader for legalizing cannabis but he's certainly happy to put his opinion forward and that's what I like you know I don't think we're going to see like um, Sam Kane come out and say I think that we should um, legalize cannabis because the All Blacks don't want to be tarnished by that paint thread well when I say tarnished I mean they don't want that controversy but Izzy is his own man and we're seeing that specifically in the last couple of weeks with the way that um, you know he stood up for what he believes in. Absolutely. And I don't know if it's so much a concerted effort on Izzy's behalf. It's more just that he has a platform now, that people are asking him these questions, that he's up there in the forefront. He's crossed over into the mainstream of New Zealand society. And yeah, absolutely, it's awesome to see people like that stepping up and making their voices heard for positive change. Because clearly Israel, has, he's experienced it. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a bit different when, you know, you know, you can be persecuted or you know suffer stereotypes and prejudice um, as a Maori or Pacific Islander in New Zealand. But you know, think about someone coming from Nigeria. You know, that's a different level, and you can see how you know he would have struggled a little bit with the bullying and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, to put it, he, Israel's Israel. You know, he's it's written all over his social media. Uh, anyone who follows him on Instagram knew that he smoked weed. Um, it was just a matter of someone asking him the questions and trying to get it out there. And, and you know, from my perspective, is you know, we want as many. Uh, public figures, public spokespeople, respected um, figures in New Zealand society to come forth and, and voice their opinions on these sorts of things because we're not going to get that from the likes of the All Blacks, as you mentioned. I mean, everything's just too sanitised. Yeah. And that's what we love about UFC and MMA is that guys can be open and honest and be themselves. And the UFC kind of encourages that, yeah. which is great to see. And, you know, that's obviously what we love about Israel as well is that he is his own man and he's clearly and unapologetically his own man. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, he's... Um 
it's just it's awesome from someone who's followed the sport for for you know more than a decade now um you know going on 15 years to see someone of of israel's status um what he is in new zealand at the moment being like a spokesperson for these important issues i mean the cannabis um you know referendum is going to be a massive part of 2020 um you know 2020 when we look back at it come september when the vote happens and the more people that speak out on either side of of the vote whether they're for or against it the more people have a chance to educate themselves on the pros and cons because this is a huge huge moment in time for New Zealand I know we're getting a bit bit on track off track here but it's a huge moment in time for New Zealand and and clearly to a lot of people it means a lot um to to, to have and not not to get high but just to and as Israel said in the interview with you footy um you know like it's just it's just something he can do just to calm the nerves a little bit just something he can do like he's, he's not doing it for performance reasons he's just doing it because he likes the way that it makes him feel and it's able to take the edge off his life a bit yeah and you hear him bring up what's wrong with taxing it like, yes understands the implications and, and what that can do for New Zealand's economy. Um, even more so now that we're trying to, you know, pick ourselves up off the mat from this whole COVID-19 uh, debacle and what that's done for small businesses and the economy in mm. general. I mean, that's just the injection we need. But, hey, I don't want to put a tinfoil hat on right now and, and, and voice all my opinions on this sort of stuff. But, yeah, yeah going back to the original point, just so good to see um, Izzy being himself and having that platform to be himself because I think he's just that's just what he is. And just one thing for me that stemmed from the last um, couple of weeks with what's been happening in the US and, and we've seen the protests in Auckland and, you know, Brazil, Germany, London be nice to people man like seriously like life is too short like no matter what role you are in life police officer school teacher um prison guard um you know like lawyer um journalist whatever it is just be nice to people man it's not hard to be kind is it no. and you know that was one of jacinda ardern's um sort of catch cries throughout this entire lockdown period just be kind and yeah i have to say i've kind of noticed a bit of a um a lighter edge about people on the streets just in general mm-hmm. i feel like you know just on the roads you know uh, you know the couple of times where i think i might have like you know sat on the horn about something but i kind of just went, hey check yourself it's fine there's just more important just trying to get across the lane because he's doing this there's no need to get angry um just little you know people saying hi to each other on the streets you know it's, it's not it's commonplace in other places in new zealand but it doesn't, doesn't happen so much in auckland but um yeah i think that's definitely one of the you know little silver linings to this whole experience eh? there's more important things in life man yeah. there's more important things in life including our health and safety so look after people uh, that's that's my slogan of the day here on the Fight Club podcast. So let's t- let's talk some fights, footy, because that's what we're here for. Uh, look, um, eighteen months ago, Tyrone Woodley had a case that he was a you know he was probably three or four defenses away from being in GSP ca- um, category in terms of becoming the greatest welterweight champion of all time. You know, Matt Hughes obviously has a good argument for that. I think even Robbie Lawler does, and GSP of course is the goat in my humble opinion. But man, he's fallen off a cliff with two fairly inept performances um, against two very different type of opponents. You know, Kamara Usman, grappler, smothers you, puts you under pressure, tries to take you down. But Gilbert Burns tries to knock your block off, and if that doesn't work, he tries to take you down. And um, I just, I think Woodley was hurt in the first round of the Gilbert Burns fight at UFC Fight Night on the weekend. And I just, after the first round of that fight, I just didn't see a way out for him. Like, Gilbert Burns was so confident, and clearly that dude's just gone to a different level in terms of his self-belief, because he looked like a world champion in that fight. 
He absolutely did. I mean, I came away with that fight thinking Gilbert Burns has to have the next shot. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's arguments for for and against that. But, you know, all last week, um, we didn't get a chance to preview this fight, but I was talking to people about it, just thinking, you know, Tyron Woodley, obviously, he is one of the greatest welterweights ever. Correct. Um, but where is his head at? You know, where, where is he? Where is his head at in terms of fighting? He's 38 years old now. Um, coming off a five-round shutout loss. Like, that's pretty demoralizing stuff. Not to mention 18 months as well. 18-month layoff. He's got other things going on with TMZ, etc. Um, I, I don't know if... His I, rap I, career. I wouldn't put his rap career in there because I don't know if you could... Shout out to Dan that. Hooker. I don't know if you can classify that as a thing that's going on. I want to whip your ass! <laughs> terrible. Yep. Um, but, yeah, and he, just after the first round, you could tell his head wasn't there. Yeah. The exact situation. He was. He spoke really openly about how mentally he wasn't there for that well, fight. We, we did an interview with yeah. him during the week, yeah. And he wasn't there at all no. for the Burns fight. Like, nothing at all. So that's 10 straight rounds, complete shutout. None of those rounds were closed. No, um, and but not to take anything away from Gilbert Burns because he was spectacular. Like, um, just the way he's grown, incredible. Like you know, he, he was always, you know, just the power guy who has some jujitsu. But his striking, so diverse, patient. His footwork was awesome. Mm. Um, his pressure that he maintained, like five rounds, that was a really high pace he was fighting at. And you could just see, yeah, the swagger that he had in the K octagon, the staring, stare downs at the end of each round, Woodley at the end of each round. Yeah. Um, man, I, I love the dude. He's just got that real sort of spark about him I and, do too um, just adds another really intriguing piece to this like already fascinating welterweight um, equation I want to get to, to to your your point earlier shortly about who fights for the welterweight title next but just a quick sidebar how good is Dan Hooker when you consider that, yep, sure, Gilbert Burns was cutting weight for that fight, but Dan Hooker took care of Gilbert Burns inside a couple of minutes, knocked him out with basically a, a little jab hook, um, followed up with punches and, and you know, mm. basically destroyed Gilbert Burns and almost knocked him out of the light, lightweight division where he was a contender, you know, he was approaching contendership um, in that division. Does Dan, and I've seen a lot of the comments on social media, on Dan's social media with people trolling him that Dustin Poirier's going to run right through him. That fight, of course, uh, looks like it's going to happen um, in a couple of months' time at the Las Vegas Apex or potentially Fight Island. We'll see what happens with travel. Um, but yeah, does Dan Hooker get the respect he deserves? Because... You know, I don't think he does, man. I think people look at his record. Americans we're talking about here, the general fighting, you know, fraternity and, and fans, they look at his record and they go, okay, eight dudes have beaten Dan Hooker before. They've seen the Barboza fight. This dude's not a contender. But, you know, one key thing to remember from that Edson Barboza fight is that Eugene Behrman wasn't with Dan Hooker for the whole entire fight week, wasn't there in his corner. That's the first time... Um, with Hooker on this whole like streak of, of eight and nine that he's been on that he hasn't had Eugene Behrman there um, and, and although he won't tell you that's an excuse I reckon it's a pretty good reason why maybe that fight didn't go to plan for him but yeah back to my original point do you think that, that this has almost made made you understand how good a fighter Dan Hooker is? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it has, Brad, to be honest, and I think you're probably right in saying that he doesn't get the respect that he deserves, um, particularly coming off a close loss, a close win rather like that mm. against a poor foul. There's always going to be these trolls who are saying, hey, you lost that fight, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know if beating Gilbert Burns is a great example to hold up for how good Hooker is, just because you know th- there is that sort of cutting down to a whole different weight class. And on the same token, you know, I don't actually think, I don't think that, Jason Knight's a great fighter because he 
beat Dan Hooker at Correct. Bantamweight. Good you point. Know? So the, this MMA math doesn't always really add up. Um, That's a great pro- props point. To him. Props to him. Like, but, I mean, you know, who knows what sort of impact the weight cut had on him. Because when you look how thick he was in that ring, he was I was huge. so surprised how much bigger than Woodley he was. And to think that he actually cut down to lightweight, I mean, no wonder. Them, I mean, they could have been blown over by a feather with, with the amount of chin you'd have left. And Woodley's a big like welterweight, man. That dude made Robbie Lawler look small uh, when yeah, they fought. Like, yeah. he, he, he made Stephen Thompson look small when they fought. Like he, and he's talked about middleweight and his future and not I know that you made some comments answer. on social media after the fight that you don't feel that's the answer <laughs> no. for him but okay so my question I pose to you is you know he's 38 39 years of age where does Tyron Woodley go now considering as I said at the top of the segment you know 18 months ago he had the world at his feet where he was asking for a GSP fight or a Conor McGregor fight I don't know man you know he's 38 years old you know obviously he still looks in great shape uh, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on the middle eight, middleweight thing isn't an answer. I mean, it's obviously going to... It suits his body frame a bit better. Could he have Anthony Pettis syndrome? He's not going to be... Remember when Pettis, yeah, when Pettis said, now I'm not, I'm not fighting for a title. I, lo- yeah. I lack that motivation. Because Woodley, Woodley foiled so long to get his standing in the, in the UFC welterweight division. And he, he lost a couple of fights when he was, you know, he lost to Jake Shields, um, you know, back in strike force. He lost to Nate Marquardt. Um, you know, like, um, and he had he had a terrible fight with Damian Meyer. He fought so hard to get where he was. Maybe now that he's been, he's off that peak and, you know, you're not getting a rematch against a guy who shuts you out um, 50-44 I think the score was in the, in the Kamara Usman fight mm. um, you know maybe he's now lacking that motivation to get back you know because he's fought Kamara Usman knows what that guy's to offer probably deep down knows he can't beat him yeah, yeah, and but I, I just don't think a guy with Woodley's mentality, someone who has had that kind of a reign with the belt, is going to be so easy just to to just to, hey, just to concede that hey, I'm just a fighter now. I'm here to put on good fights. I'm not necessarily worried about the the, the title. I th- I think he is one of those guys who's who's, hey, he has an ego and he wants to satisfy it. And but I mean, welterweight is just a killer, murderer's row at the moment. And you know, even people have been talking about him versus Covington. You know, Covington would would maul him. I agree. Uh, and that would be embarrassing because, yeah. you know, all the smack talk that's gone back and forth um, between those two and just to see the way I feel like Covington would just come out there. And better striker and a better wrestler. The only the only <laughs> thing that Woodley has is, is the power, which wasn't on yeah. – he, he hardly landed Does a he shot. Does he still have the power? Well, and, that, and that's the yeah. question that we have we have to ask. And, and I wonder if moving up to middleweight, he might be able to rediscover that power that maybe he's lost when he's not dehydrating himself. I, I think there's, there's, there's a gap at middleweight. Like, I honestly do. I think they're pretty yeah. short on challenges. Right. I mean, when you're talking about an Ian Hynish being like number six or seven in the division, um, I think that um, uh, Edmund, um, the the guy out of the Rousey Rousey camp, um, um, he's got a, a Shabazian, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. He's a very, very good fighter. Um, I think he's the future of the middleweight division outside of Israel. But I think if you if he, you know, Uriah Romero is like 43, never going to fight for a title again, especially why Izzy's holding the belt. Robert Whitaker, gonna, it's a mm-hmm. hard track for him to get back to a title. I think it's a hard track for Calvin Gastelum to get back to a title given that he's lost two straight. There is an opportunity at middleweight, um, you know, like um, it's just whether or not he's good enough to take that. And you'd probably have to match him up there against another contender. So he would have to come right off the bat against the Romero, a Weidman, a Rockhold, a Darren Till, um, who he's beaten. You know, let's not forget about that. Two years ago, 
He took care of Darren Till inside two rounds. Um, yeah, I, but I think middleweight might be the answer, at least to give him a little bit of rejuvenation. Yeah, and, yeah, and going back to what I said before about him, him needing those title aspirations, middleweight is definitely a better place for him to trace those, just in terms of yeah, what you just mentioned. There is a little bit of a gulf there between the upper tier, or even just Adesanya and Paulo Costa. I think there's a little bit of a the drop-off mm-hmm. there. Um, so he would have a, a chance to establish himself there fairly quickly, and they would give him the big fights first just to test them. So we'd know very quickly whether he was he still had that sort of championship caliber. But obviously he's going to have even less power at middleweight. That's another thing. Maybe um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, you just you, you you never know with that sort of thing. Sometimes the, the yeah, going right, up a weight class, you can actually put on a bit of thickness. So. Correct, correct. Uh, just one other thing from that card, um, which was fairly uneventful in terms of um, uneventful in terms of talking points. Actually, two points. Spike Carlisle. Um, yeah. Never seen that dude fight before, but I want to see him fight again. <laughs> yeah, that fight was awesome, man. And that dude's a character, and he he's got the goods to back it up. Like he looked very, very good. And that was a disputed decision. I did think that um, Billy Quarantillo won that fight. Um, but man, that guy's the sort of pe- people that we need to, to you know, these we're we're crying out for new stars or for new people to get behind. And I really like a guy who's got attitude, backs himself, and puts on a show in the cage, and has the talent to back up his his bullshit. So yeah, to speak. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, if, when you're gonna fight that record though, you know, I think you're kind of really pigeonholing yourself in sort of that fan favorite type area. Clay, Gu- Clay Guida style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was, it was so erratic and absolutely hilarious. Quarantino walking off with ten seconds to go on the round. <laughs> yeah. um, absolutely bizarre. Given you know, there's there's no chance they did not hear the clacker. Yeah. Gets up and starts walking away, and all of a sudden takes a couple of shots from the back, yeah. which added even more to that fight. So that was cool to see. But um, another guy who I really enjoyed was Roosevelt um, Roberts. Yeah, that you know, dude I'm looks a legit. For a rangy like. Um, tall, lightweight. Yeah, um, was he a lightweight? Yeah, he, he lightweight. yeah, yeah. And um, he he's riding a wave of momentum at the moment too. Yeah, I think he's he's won five in a row in the UFC. So uh, yeah, that is a na- absolutely. Um, uh, he fought Brock Weaver, who looked like a pretty decent. Yeah. Um, he came in overweight, Brock Weaver, which really made uh, Roosevelt Roberts fairly angry in the <laughs> in the in the weigh-ins. But that guy looks legit, man. I, I I agree with you. Um, and one other really impressive performance for me, and another example of why you should never mess with the best grapplers in the world on the ground was Mackenzie Dern and Hannah Cyphers. Cyphers looked like she was all over mm. Dern on the feet. Um, the fight went to the ground. and Mackenzie Dern is like the Damien Meyer of women's mix. She is so good. She's, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of credentials, she'd have to be the, the most decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner in women's mixed martial arts, at least in the UFC anyway. And she just locked on that leg and it was beautiful to watch. And I actually I actually clapped from my couch watching <laughs> that fight because I just thought, man, that's and that's the excitement that we want to see. We want to see people who finish fights in different ways. And, and Mackenzie Dern, um, she, she had a setback not that long ago. Um, she came back from from having a baby as well, um, you know, not that long ago as well. But that's a big win for her. And um, I really, I think she she's she's someone the UFC's hype train could at least boost up to that next level where she, she takes a marquee yeah, fight. Yeah, she's got the charisma, she's got the look, and, you know, people kind of wrote her off a little bit after her last loss, mm. thinking that perhaps her, you know, one-dimensional approach to fighting had exposure a little bit. But that but, one dimension is pretty awesome. Exactly. When it's so damn elite, I mean, that can carry you through. If she can get some just rudimentary striking going, um, I mean, man, she's a real danger. And I mean, that, that last loss was four months after giving birth. I mean, yeah. it seems insane. And, and look, when people talk about one dimensional fighters, against a certain level of opponent, like, and, and you know, look at Ronda Rousey. She lost to two of the greatest bantamweights of all time in Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez. Her skill set, which was rudimental striking, fairly basic striking, but 
like top of the food chain judo got her to a 14 or 12 and 0 record and a UFC and strike force bantamweight title beating the likes of Misha Tate and Kat Zingano in 14 seconds and Alexa Davis and Sarah Kaufman she was she beat elite fighters of a day because her one dimension was so much better than everyone else in that department and that's what you know Amanda Nunez is striking is on a different level to every other girl that's at bantamweight you know um, maybe not at featherweight when she fought the likes of Jermaine Durandame but you know Nunez is so good at that one discipline that if you can't get it to the ground, you're losing your you're losing that fight, especially at that one uh, bantamweight weight class. So I do think that some people write off one dimensional fighters in the wrong way. Like at a certain level, before they get to that top three or four in the division, that can carry them that far. And maybe she's got the next year or so to work on her striking to the point where you know, kind of like what we were talking about with Bryce Mitchell a couple of weeks ago, where his grappling is so off the chain that that could carry him over the course of those next three or four fights to the point where he starts to contend for a title. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, but you did mention there is another level where where there's a massive barrier to entry if, yes. you, if you don't have a well-rounded game. Yep. And I think Nunez can grapple too, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the game has evolved to that point, whereas, you know, Arousey could dominate with that, with that one sort of just being so damn elite um, with the judo and the grappling. But, um, you know, eventually that sort of passed her by and she was massively exposed by an amazing striker. Um, so, yeah, you can you can only go so far, Brad. Yeah. I feel like with that sort of thing. But d- depending how, how good you... I mean, all you need is some great defense some striking good striking defense good ways to, to set yourself up so a lot of it depends on who your team is um but either, it's, either it's, way doing's uh, super exciting it's like damian Meyer though man pretty much every fight where that guy got a takedown he tapped yeah. out the opponent. Exactly. That's and, and that's the thing. If Mackenzie Dern can get to a takedown position, there's not a lot of girls that are going to be, be able to hang with her on the ground. Yeah. She's that far above in terms of skill set. A couple of strikes just to set up the takedown. Um, yeah, and it gets to that point. There, you know, the, Those guys, like you mentioned, like Maya, where as soon as the flight hits you, mate, you're like, all right, okay, we're done. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. exactly. Hey, um, Brad, you didn't tell me um, your Uh-oh. thoughts. Gilbert Burns. Yes. What What's next? Where do you think he sits in the uh, welterweight uh, good, good point. Great segue. Um, I, I like him for a title fight because I don't think there's a 100 I think Masvidal is the only guy who could probably proclaim to deserve a title fight given the path that he's taken in, um, in, in the likes of Nate Diaz and Stephen Thompson um, in, in his last few fights and the way that he's won those fights he has a legitimate claim to fight for a world title but I think he's probably eyeing a different fight right now. I don't know if the title fight motivates him as much. Definitely not Colby Covington. Dude needs to win another fight, and then he's right back in there. I have no issue with Gilbert Burns, who wants to fight his teammate. For those that don't know, they fight out of the the same camp. Um, Kamara Usman as well. I think he tweeted something along the lines of, um, congrats to my brother. I'd totally um, be honored to share the cage with you um, in a title fight. So yeah, I like that fight. I I think that it makes sense, and it's a really interesting challenge for Kamara, who's showing... He, he's a guy who's shown development in his game. He stood for five rounds with Colby Covington. I know Colby's not an elite striker, but Kamaru showed that he can stand in a fight over the course of five rounds. His chin held up. He is a top of the, the food chain level elite wrestler, probably the best in the division. So he has that game. But do you want to mess with Gilbert Burns on the ground? That's another question. Mm. So that's a pick your poison type fight for Kamara Usman. So yeah, I like that fight. I think it's intriguing. I like the storyline behind it about teammates. And I like the fact that Gilbert Burns will be rewarded for momentum of beating um, two legitimate contenders and Damian Meyer and Tyron Woodley back to back. You can't you can't laugh at that. That is two legit top dudes that he's beaten in the last two fights. But Brad, what about poor old Leon Edwards? 
the man is riding is the win streak from hell. Win streak. Um, well, he can't. I, I wouldn't be mad at Edwards versus Burns. He yeah, can't get. Edwards, he can't get into the US at the moment. So, you know, he's, he's got a massive COVID problem right now. Now, unless the UFC try and work out some sort of UK card with no crowd, given that, um, you know, professional football and that's coming back in June, maybe we might see a restriction around that. Um, and maybe the UFC could work on a, on a UK-only card where it would just be UK-based fighters from Scotland, Ireland, and, 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 the, and the like. Um, but, you know, who would you match him up with? With the only guy that, you know, I don't think there's another contender from the, the 170 division that is from that area, you know, like you could could argue maybe he could fight a catchweight fight against the likes of a Darren Till or something like that but that does nothing for Darren Till's career it does nothing for Leon Edwards' career so until the borders open up in the UK or he's allowed to get out of the UK and into the US um, which is still we're still mm-hmm. uncertain about depending on where the UFC stages fights if we have Fight Island all these problems they go away because then Dana can bring in whoever he wants well, so um, we do have Fight Island which would you make it would you make Edward Burns would you still would you would you make Edwards would you shut him to the side? And I'd, I'd, I'd certainly give Edwards a marquee fight. Mm. Um, and if Kamaru wants to sit on the sidelines and wait for the winner, then sure. I mean, maybe they do end up like you know do end up going with Masvidal and um, Kamaru, which makes sense from a rankings perspective. That's and, my favorite. Yeah, I agree. And I think Masvidal deserves the right if he wants that fight. You know, like he's he's angling for a Conor fight. He's angling for a Nate Diaz rematch. Uh, I, I wonder if he's looking at the Kamaru fight and he's thinking risk isn't isn't um, worth the reward in terms of yeah, I can come out of this with champion, but I'm not going to make as much money as I would fighting Nate Diaz or Conor McGregor. So those are the fights that I want. I want to I want to fight the Conor McGregor fight, win that, then I'll fight Kamara Usman. So many options there. So many options. And, and I mean, Masvidal in like a, a, a in like an 18 month period has gone from just another like a dude that you look at and go, nah, it's it's Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I want to see that guy fight. You know, like, and he's done that with so tremendous Burns, performances. Right? Yeah, and Gilbert Burns is, is working his way towards that, which is great. And this is what we want to see. And it's why I was so excited about some of these fight cards because we're seeing guys that, you know, um, are wanting to make an impression. And Mackenzie Dern said something in her post fight interview with DC on Sunday where she said that, you know, Dana spoke to us before the fight and, and he said to us, You've only got a limited part of your life in this sport. You need to go out there and make the most of your opportunities. And, you know, like, so he's motivating his fighters to go out there and make a name for himself these cards aren't stacked but they've been really really interesting i know that ufc 249 was a stack card i get that but the cards that have followed i've barely been able to pick out a boring fight they've all kept my attention and everyone yeah the matchmaking has been really really good the card on sunday you know had two or three dudes that i've watched fight live and the and you know i've watched fight on tv before a lot of the other people you know i'd never even seen before i mean like you know uh brandon royal that guy royal that guy looked awesome uh we saw um chris Gutierrez, that guy's striking was Israel Adesanya like he looked awesome so there's guys here that now when they fight the next time you're going to be even more excited to see them because mm-hmm. you know they've had this profile of a of an event where everyone's cramming to watch live sport yeah yeah and you can understand why these fighters would be so keen to be involved in these sorts of cards because there is no other sport correct People are watching more MMA there's better exposure for them um, and it can really kind of get their momentum the, the hype train going if you will all right, we'll take a quick break here on the Fight Club podcast and be back and we'll talk about John Jones vacating the UFC light heavyweight title. What yeah, the? The Fight Club podcast with Brad Lewis and Stephen Foote. All right, Footy, uh, as mentioned uh, just before, John Jones uh, has tweeted that he is vacating 
the UFC light heavyweight title. Ariel Hawani has spoken to a source close to the John Jones camp, and pretty much if Ariel reports something, I believe it. The dude's got sources like no one else. I'm um, saying that John is seriously, you know, he's he's at the moment, he's he's serious about vacating the title. He's frustrated with the way that the UFC have handled the whole Francis and Garner negotiations, specifically the fact that they've played it out in public and that he's been looked like the bad guy where Francis has been painted as a good guy in this whole negotiation tactic. Um, and you know, um, the, the cool thing about that tweet is he said, come back to me in 2021 when we can try and make the Israel Adesanya fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keen to watch that, but what other chances, like if, like let, let's say, um, like let's do a percentage here, like obviously with 100 being, yep, I absolutely believe he's vacated the title. Percentage-wise, what chance do you give John Jones' next fight being for a light heavyweight title? Oh, jeez. Percentage. Do you think that he is serious about vacating this belt? No, I'd say 80%. That he will be fighting for the light heavyweight fight, title against the John Blackovich. Yeah, it's, it's a little beef that he's got going on with Dana here, where it's like a you know each man trying to call each other's bluff. Yeah, a little back and forth. Um, what was concerning to me was um, that his, his spelling of Deontay Wilder was it really was the poor. D I A N T. Yeah, but I don't know. Grain of salt with this sort of stuff. You know, he obviously just had a little moment. He was upset. Um, Do you know he has three times the Twitter followers that Deontay Wilder has? Wow. He's so much more well known in America than Deontay Wilder, who yeah. is, you know, arguably before his fight with Tyson Fury was the baddest man on the planet. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of a leverage play. I mean, both guys will come to the table eventually. They'll both realize what each what they have in each other and how mutually beneficial their arrangement is. Correct. And they'll figure something out. Uh, but shout out to John Jones as well for for doing his, his part for the old Lucas. Saw that. Um, um, confiscating a spray can off yeah. some little twerp. You in know, the streets all these of looters who were just, you know, undermining the efforts of those who are peacefully protesting. And who the hell is going to get in the way of John Jones if he comes up to you and says, "Give me that spray can, give me that spray can." Okay, bro, here you go. Um, hey, I just want to give myself a prop. Um, a couple of weeks okay. ago, when we were talking about, um, I think it was off the back of Francis and Garner's demolition of Jair Rosentrick, I said, "Bro, what about an interim light heavyweight, uh, an interim heavyweight title fight between Francis and Garner and John Jones?" I, I shouted that out, and then the next freaking day, John Jones and Francis Ngannou start going at each other on Twitter. Also, um, what's really I did, but what's really interesting is when I spoke to Israel Adesanya a couple of weeks ago, and I spoke to him about the, the Ngannou John Jones fight. He said, "Brad, he said John will find a way out of this. I don't know how he will do it, but he'll find." He said he's been talking about heavyweight since before he won the light heavyweight title. He mm-hmm. said for ten years, John Jones has been talking about I'm going to be heavyweight champion and light heavyweight champion. He said. Whatever, however he does it, he'll find a way out of it, and he'll fight Dominic or he'll fight John. And that, and you know, I think as he's he said, all he's doing here is he's trying to up his price with the UFC, and he's trying to keep his name relevant in a, in a slow period for for him as a UFC champion. He's definitely been keeping his name in the in the lights, hasn't he? He's very been very active for, for, for on one media, reason, one reason or not. Yeah, yeah, but man, I have to be honest with you. That fight, that Jones and Ganu fight, it's probably the most. Take my money. Oh man. I don't know if I could get more hype for any other fight in the UFC. No, um, that that like when I heard that, like I don't care who you put Conor McGregor in there yeah. with, even if it is Anderson Silva, which I saw those two went at each other. Well, not went at each other; they actually had a respectful um, exchange on Twitter during the week. Um, but yeah, like um, I think it's just that whole can John Jones take a heavyweight punch thing, and and the dude, like you know, we saw even in in five rounds of domination, Miocic still got tagged four or five times by Big Ngannou punches, and if. John 
you know, in the first round, that's what I want to see, man. I want to see Ngannou and what John Jones comes to the table with in the first round. That's an exciting fight. I want to see what John Jones looks like when he doesn't have to cut weight. Um, you know, if he's still as athletic as he is at light heavyweight, does he bring more power to heavyweight? Because, you know, that's the only thing lacking in John Jones' game is that one-punch knockout power. If he had that, he'd be almost unbeatable. Um, you know, because he's, he's got the best chin yeah. in mixed martial arts, pretty much. Like, I can't think of another guy who's able to withstand some of the, the heavy heavy hits that he's had in his fights, especially from the likes of Gustafsson, Machida, Reyes cracked Jones with multiple headshots and he mm. you know, he walked through them. So that's the fight that I'm with you, man. I can't think of a, a fight I want to see more, um, re- regardless of yeah. who Conor McGregor's fighting next or, or, or whatever. Well, I, I think technically he'd be too too good for Nagano. But I also think Technically, that, yes. I think Absolutely. that what he'd want, perhaps, is to wait until... Ngannou actually had a bout of some sort because I don't know if he's really going to want to jump up the heavyweight and just test himself against a contender. I think he's going to want an immediate title. Well, shot. he has talked about the interim title because he said, why Miocic? For an interim title. Well, yeah, right, well, you said it was yeah. an interim title. Yeah, my yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, um, John so. Jones actually put that on the table. He said, hey, how would you guys think about me and Francis Ngannou for a light heavyweight title? And then Twitter exploded because I think the MMA world is excited for that. As I, you know, John Jones is a guy that I've always wanted to get behind because I love watching him fight. I love how good he is. I love that he's able to to solve chess problems like George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva used to do in their heyday. Even Matt Hughes back in the day. They were able to look at an opponent, where his weakness was, and they were able to exploit that. And that's what John Jones has done. Like, the dude... You know, for all intent, he is the GOAT, right? Like, he is the most talented fighter of all time, but he has many, many asterisks next to his name, which is why, for me, George St. Pierre is the greatest of all time. Uh, but <laughs> okay. yeah, like, I've always wanted to get behind John Jones. And, you know, like, um, even after the DC fight, when he knocked him out, and, you know, I was like, that's it, I'm on the John Jones bandwagon. And then a week later, you know, oh, yeah. John Jones uh, pissed It's been a real love hate relationship with you and It has, man. It has. But, but, but as a fighter, I just love watching him fight because he is uh, yeah. so good. How can you not? How can you? Not. What about what about that fight for a headliner on a pay per view once COVID's out? Yeah, the Being first done. pandemic first pay per view with crowds. It needs crowd. You know, yeah, like, that's something you want on the market. And you right? kind of feel like the UFC aren't going to waste the Conor McGregor fight without any crowd either. Like you, you feel like Conor fighting in an empty arena will just lose its appeal. Like um, you know, yeah. like he needs to walk out with thousands of people. They want to bank that Irish gate. Co- correct, <laughs> they absolutely do. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. Um, hey, just um, uh, a couple of things before we go, Footy. Uh, Mike Tyson versus Tyson Fury. Miss me on all the Tyson comeback stuff, man. <laughs> Honestly, it's uh, I just I, I just can't take any of it seriously. I wrote an opinion piece on newsub.co.nz. You can check it out where I said, um, you know, don't buy into this Tyson Holyfield. It, it could be it'll uh, it's so bad that it could look worse than Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz three, which was arguably the worst <laughs> mixed martial arts fight of all time. I I understand that Mike Tyson looks good hitting bags, but Ronda Rousey looked like a world champion when she was hitting Edmund Tazi, uh, Edmund Edmund's hands when she was hitting bags you know like um yeah look um kind of not um, yeah i'm just <laughs> i just and it's holyfield that worries me the most that dude sounds punch drunk every time he talks i don't want to see that dude in the ring mm. and and it would be with headgear on and yeah tyson fury would destroy mike tyson in an exhibition fight in a real fight in a street scrap you name it tyson fury beats mike tyson in any oh, type yeah, of combat sport yeah, I mean, everyone's coming out of the woodwork now saying, of course, oh, yeah, I'll give Tyson. Shane Cameron said it. Shane Cameron, <laughs> you know, everyone wants that payday. Yeah. Um, but, man, I can't see it. Oh, I don't know. There's even bare knuckle fighting. Is it, hasn't Tyson been doing some wrestling stuff? 
Uh, yeah, he was in AEW. Um, with, yeah, Vitor Balfour, Rashad Evans, Henry Cejudo were all um, <laughs> part of Mike Tyson's uh, posse oh, as yeah. he came out um, uh, to confront Chris Jericho and All Elite Wrestling. Um, so yeah, and he was um, a special guest enforcer for uh, Cody Rhodes and Vance Archer and, um, and on AEW's Double or Nothing pay per view. I can buy that. Um, last That's week. a more realistic path for Tyson. Yeah, so there is talk that um, he's going to be paid a lot of money by Tony Khan, who's the owner of AEW, owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tony Khan. Um, to have a wrestling match with Chris Jericho um, later in the mm. year, so um, which would be it potentially take AEW to the next level in terms of where it's at compared to WWE. Yeah, that also sounds like a messy matchup. All right, uh, quickly before we go, UFC 250 coming 250. up this weekend. 2.50, wow, where have all these UFCs gone? My first one, and I've been watching um, old school UFCs recently, my first live UFC was UFC 69, which happened to be the biggest upset in the history of mixed martial arts when Matt Serra knocked out George St. Pierre. Um, and I watched that pay-per-view again for the very first time since I originally watched it the other night. Um, epic card, Diego Sanchez, Josh Koshek. There was just some great, you know, Mike Swick, Yushin Okami. Mike Swick was on a tear back then. The dude was one fight away from... Uh, Mike the... Mike the- Quick Mike, Mike Quickswick, he was one Doing fight away from fighting Thailand Anderson now. Silver for the middleweight title. Um, lost that fight to Yushin Okami when we never got to see Mike Swick versus Yushin, uh, versus Anderson Silver. That card was epic. But yeah, that was my first UFC, and now we're up to what? Two, 250. Um, the greatest women's mixed martial artist of all time, mm-hmm. Amanda Nunez, defends her uh, bantamweight, no, featherweight title um, against uh, Felicia, Felicia Spencer, Spencer, who um, is um, 3-1 in the UFC. Her only loss came at the hands of um, Cyborg. She has beaten Megan Anderson. She is legit. Um, but she's not Nunez legit. She's not She's not Nunez legit, but she hung for three rounds with, with Cyborg and didn't really wasn't really on the brink of defeat at any time. She was able to handle the cyborg offense. Um, so it's a, and again, Nunez's cardio always comes into question in these fights. Mm. Um, I, I follow Felicia Spencer on, on on Instagram. She does a lot of cardio work and, and what have you. And you know she's um she's don't looked, be fooled by the Instagram stuff. But. She's she, I know, but she's um she's fair, she's she's looked good in all the fights. I think she has a chance. Everyone has a chance in a fight, but you got to think that Amanda Nunez is is walking out with two belts again. Yeah, I mean they're just running out of challenges aren't they so this is that, up for that division needs there. to go right like Megan mm-hmm. Anderson's the only other fight after this for Nunez at that weight class unless they brought in like a Julia Budd who's currently in Bellator and you know you know that Cyborg's not coming um, coming back to the UFC anytime soon given the way that she <laughs> left she left things um, but yeah um, Nunez wins that bout wins that, wins that fight against um, Felicia Spencer I think you're almost at the point where you have to say that's it for the featherweight division because they made it Huge for Cyborg. They made it for Cyborg. You've got You're Nunez right. jumping mm-hmm. in between divisions. It's almost losing its appeal as no, a weight class. It's really diluting the women's talent pool as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, just And there's sort of like a mini bantamweight tournament going on. Rafael Asuncao, who's been around forever, it seems, fighting Cody Garbrandt, who, of course, is riding uh, three losses on the bounce, two to TJ Dillashaw, one to Pedro Munoz, all of those by knockout. Dude's chin's gone to the toilet, but he's fighting a guy who doesn't possess a lot of power and a Sunsail crucial, crucial matchup for both guys. But Garbrandt, who not that long ago looked unbeatable when he took care of Dominic Cruz fairly easily over the course of five rounds to win the Bantamweight title and much need of victory. I mean, far out. Such high hopes for that guy after what he did to Dominic Cruz, but yeah. it just hasn't been the same dude, has it? His chin, as you said, has been massively suspect. Um, <laughs> he gets time. drawn into fight. People know how to beat him. They suck him into firefights. Yeah, Moon. Munoz he, he today, he, he should he, he, he should never lose to a guy like Pedro Munoz. He had that fight in the bag and got sucked into a firefight. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. 
you know, I'll say this, Garbrandt needs to leave Team Alpha Man. <laughs> team Alpha fail, as Dominic Cruz <laughs> so uh, lovingly put it once. Um, Aljamain Sterling against Corey Sanhagen. Both those guys have been awesome there or thereabouts in the bantamweight division. Um, that is an awesome fight. You're absolutely right. And the other fight um, in the bantamweight division is Neil, uh, sorry, uh, Sean O'Malley, um, one of uh, Ben Askren's sons versus Eddie Wineland, who's, who has been around forever. Um, when did he come? When was his last I'm, fight? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'm. I'm keen to see O'Malley back because the last time I saw that guy fight against Quinos, he just put on a show. He looks like an absolute killer and a future world champ. Uh, Winland is uh, three and five in his last um, five UFC he, fights, he had a title and he shot, uh, and he last years fought ago, didn't he? in June. He. he um, he fought Henan Burrell. Yes, he did for the Bantamweight Championship. You were 100% correct there, Footy, um, in a fight that did not go his way in any form oh, whatsoever. Oh, 2019, he's got a like, TKO win. Oh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. I always kind of enjoyed Eddie Wineland fighting, but Sean O'Malley, um, love the guy. Top five fighter for me at the moment in terms of guys who I want to watch. Um, that guy's looked unbeatable. Next level skills, just super entertaining, explosive, um, striking. Uh, I can't see him. I can't see him losing. He's yeah, just, there's too much momentum. And look out, of course, for Chase Hooper, who is the second of second Ben Askren's fight. sons, who's fighting on the, on the undercard. How old is he now? Like 17. Uh, yeah, against Alex Caceres. That's a tough fight. Caceres um, doesn't have the greatest record in the world, but he's a big tough out. And um, my That's pick. It's going to be exciting. It is. And my pick of of the night. Watch the very first fight on UFC Fight Pass. I think um, ESPN will be showing that as well on Sky Sport. Alonzo Menfield versus Devin Clark. Actually, both these guys are really good um, in the light heavyweight division. Watch Menfield fight um, a couple of fights ago um, just he has something about him that mm. you know how when you watch a fighter for, I found it when I, when I watched Macy Barber fight for the first time and yeah I know that hasn't quite gone my way when I predicted <laughs> that she'd be a future world champ I still think she will be a world champion I just didn't go so well for her against Roxanne Metaferi Macy Barber expected well I'm not going to say that but she, she she is legit she just fought a terrible game plan against Roxanne yeah. Metaferi but yeah I really like the looks of, of Menfield he could be a future champion in, in the light heavyweight he division and light heavyweight is crying out for new 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 stars do you think the, uh, the Sterling Sanhagen winner is the number one contender uh, to go against the winner of Piotr Jan versus... I Jose think Aldo. it's going to go to Marlon Moraes because he beat Jose Aldo in his last fight. But maybe the winner of Sterling and Sanhagen fights Marlon Moraes and then they will fight go. the winner yeah, of Jan and, better, and Aldo. Um, which is kind of surprising that Asuncao and Garbrandt are the co, but I guess they're both two high-profile fighters than yeah. Aljamain Sterling and, and yeah. Corey Sanhagen. Sterling, of course, fights out of um, the Ray Longo gym with the likes of Chris Weidman, Matt Serra, um, Gian Vellante. So uh, Pete Sell, there's a name from the past um, from, that, from that gym as well. So uh, Aljamain Sterling, who looks like a bantamweight John Jones the way that he fights so he's very creative he's got good wrestling good strike so yeah, that, that's a cool fight exciting guy. it is a cool mm-hmm. fight it is a cool fight so look out for that we'll have um, all the reaction to that card for you um, also Gilbert Burns' brother's fighting on that card against Evan Dunham as well um, Herbert Burns which card? Um, on that card uh, Herbert Burns is fighting Evan Dunham as well it just hasn't been officially announced on, on Twitter wow. but I did see that um, the UFC had is that on their website it is yeah yeah. He's, um, he's had a couple of fights in the UFC oh, I think I think that's us done and dusted you got anything else you want to add no that was a good um, good, good chat discussion all um, manner of subjects covered we've uh, kind of gone a little bit outside very of the broad yes um, indeed 
you know, yeah. a few We even chucked a little bit of pro there. wrestling in there, which, which um, you know, um, excited me immensely. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, it's been good to be back in here, Brad. It definitely sounds a lot better in this little booth, that's for sure. Than a call on the internet. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, remember, guys, you can like and subscribe at uh, iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps. Check us out, newshub.co.nz forward slash podcast. There's quite a lot of cool podcasts there for you guys to crack into as well on the Newshub podcast service. Um, we'll be back in a week's time. We'll review UFC 250, and there'll be plenty of other talking points um, will John Jones be UFC light heavyweight champion in seven days time only time will tell we'll see you in a week's time